Ladies and gentlemen, this is Soap Boxing Podcast. Your main event of the evening. Responsibility. And don't let that stop you. So, with Father's Day, I mean, it, I woke up. It was a rough start as I woke up. But I got a, a let me say, a characteristic mama. And so, I knew if I went over there by her, got on her nerves, let her cuss me out a little bit, right. it was going to make me feel better. Right. So, she didn't know what she was doing, but I go to my mom's house all the time just to mess with it, just to get on her nerves, because it makes me smile, and right. I had too much on my mind. And so, Father's Day wasn't that bad. Like, it's uh, been, this is my third Father's Day without him, so it's, the first two was hard. This one was way better. Right. Uh, I had my moments. In the beginning part of the day, but in the end part, then I went to my dad's house, man, and played dominoes for a couple hours right. and just talked. So, but it it ended well. I got gifts, and I don't normally get gifts on Father's Day, <laughs> so that was a good thing. But uh, it was good. I mean, it was it was it was, it was better than the last ones. Better than the last. Yeah, one. that's beautiful. How much uh, when you when you're in the ring? Um, I, I had the pleasure. I, did, I didn't see your first professional fight. I had the pleasure of being there at the second one. I actually called it, uh, you know, uh, announced it in the ring, you know, the wolf howling and all that. How much does he cross your mind, you know, at those moments when you're standing there, um, you know, hand being raised and, and uh, you're just having that, that moment. The crowd was going crazy, you know. How much is he in your mind at those moments? It's not a moment with my son, not on my mind. I think about my son every day. Pretty much 90% of the day, like, ain't much I don't do in life where I don't think about him. Um, that's my boy, so. But that's why I keep a, I keep a picture of him on every pair of trunks or right. vests that I wear. Right. I got so many pictures with him, I don't care if I have 100 fights. Right. I got a picture for him from each one. Right. And so every fight, I get a different pair. I get something different made every time with a different right. picture. So he's on my mind constantly, all the time. And it, and it ain't nothing that I don't do in life where I don't consider him. Like, if I feel like I'm i doing something wrong, I'll be like, how would your son look at you after you do this if you know it ain't the right thing to do? So it right. makes me kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. Well, I, I had that conversation with a gentleman once, and uh, we were talking about a, a similar situation. He, you know, he wasn't, you know, his uh, child wasn't, wasn't gone. Uh, but he wasn't with him at the time, and I and I and I posed that question to him, and I and I asked him, how much differently would your life be? How much differently would you live your life if you lived every moment as if your son could see you? And and just the look on his face as he, you could see where he was actually thinking about that, like, wow, I never pictured it that way. Mm-hmm. But that sounds like that that's the way you live, and that's got to be that's that's got to make for a real for some real righteous moments, yeah, you it, know, in your life. Yeah, do because sometimes we want to go off the deep end. I be <laughs> wanting to snap on a couple people, but I don't. And so I'm a little more, I'm way more mature than I used to be. That's for sure. <laughs> Pain to make you a man is if it don't, if it don't make you, it'll break you. Right. And so with me, it made me so. Yeah, I mean, it just yeah. So I don't want no bad karma coming back to me. Right. So I do people right, treat right. people right. Not everybody, cause I saw I saw those first three fights. So not every you're not treating everybody right. I mean, that's just part of the game, right there. <laughs> I mean, it's either he gonna do it to me, or I'm gonna do it to him. But other than that, it's nothing but respect for him. Right. When we in the ring, I'm going to do my part. But, uh, yeah, I try to do everything right. I'm not perfect, but I got a good heart, and everything I do is with good intention. I never do nothing with bad intention. Unless we fighting, I'm trying to hurt you. Unless we fight. Yeah, and so, and I think that's got me this far, and I think it's going to get me real far in life. So, 
I love it. So you talked about being a four division champion. That's 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 a, that's a heavy heavy goal right there. Yeah. Now, you still have that goal. Yeah, most definitely. Four time world champion in four different weight classes. I want to be a hundred. I'm at the one hundred forty seven pounds. The weight class I'm going to campaign. I want to be undisputed. I don't want another man to have a title in my weight class without going through me. The way the way Bernard Hopkins did the middleweights in the early two thousands. Mm -hmm. That's how I want to do. Wow. Forty-seven. I want every title. I don't want to. I don't want there there'll be a person to say he has a title at my weight class, or there's question. Now ain't no question. It's just when Roy Jones dominated the sport when Floyd Mayweather that there was nobody that opposed them, and that's how I want to be. And so after I dominate one forty-seven, I'm gonna go up to one fifty-four, grab me a title. After one fifty-four, I'm gonna go to one sixty. Mm -hmm. I'm in my career at one sixty-eight. Now, you know, 168, you know, that's some serious leather being thrown yeah. around up there. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but I, I like all work. All work is good work. I never shy from the best work. I've been in there with the best, pound for pound, best in the world. So, and I've built my relationships with these guys based off the sparring that I give them, my character, mm -hmm. who I am as a person. So, and... I have every last one of their numbers where I can call them up and ask them, like, can I get some? They'll tell me, yeah, man, you can come to anytime you want. I've been to their houses and I chill with them on the right. regular. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, I love all that work. I don't shy from nothing. Okay, let, well, let me ask you this, because this is a question that I love to ask uh, athletes. I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of professional athletes, you know, uh, doing the, uh, programs like these. And I asked them, when was that moment where you knew that Quentin Randall, was better than the average man in the ring. When was that moment? Like you know, we have guys that talk about when they were playing ball and they remember that moment where they where they did this or that moment where they did that. What was that moment? When was that moment in the ring? And who was it with? If you don't mind saying that you were in the ring, and you realized, okay, I got something here. Uh, where it went from just the love of the sport when you actually got in there and was like, okay, I can do this. I thought of do well. Let me say this. I always felt like I can do it. My problem was, it, it wasn't a problem. My, The thing I was coming across was I was seeing a lot of people in the ring do stuff that I ain't got to yet because I was new to it. So right. I was like, man, right. I know I can right. do that. But the whole goal was to be patient, don't rush it. And so but when I knew I was, the moment I stepped in the gym coming out of prison, <laughs> I knew I was going to be the truth. But in an actual fight, right. um, I think I was fighting a dude named Brandon Bruce. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, he's from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Got killed like, like last year. Or well, yeah, last year. And so uh, he was from Louisiana. They were doing Louisiana versus uh, Texas. Okay. And he came out here. He was our. He was a former member of the USA team. And this particular time, I only had like twenty some fights. Right. No, I don't even. I, ain't, I had nineteen fights. Okay. Man, I must have dusted the floor. <laughs> and so I, then we was fighting for five hundred dollars. Right. So. Uh, yeah, man. I was like, oh, yeah. Right. So there was actually some on the table he wanted. So you got you, you got his best. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, this this going, yeah. Ever since then, then I have moments when I'm sparring world champions and I'm sparring people and I'm doing my thing. Right. And I'm doing my thing. Then I've had moments where I've been in the ring with Russians with over three, four hundred fights. Right. Fighters right. from different countries. And I... Dusted. Right. As if I was doing this since I was eight years old. They don't right. know I didn't have my first fight till I was 21, the month I turned 22. Right. So, people be asking, how many fights you got? I'd be like, when did you start? I was like, I started. I didn't have my first fight till I was 21, man. Right. They were like, 21? 
Like so, you don't look like it. I was like, well, thank you. That's that's a compliment. Well, you know, and that, that um that is problematic for a lot of guys, you know, in sports, and they have to get that late start. But it seems like for you, it has brought a, a certain level of maturity with you, where you don't have the ramp up in that part, you know, because that's that's one of the difficulties, you know, in sports, especially in boxing, where your where your knowledge in the ring and your physical growth and your maturity. You know they have to link up at some point to get the best out of you, and you have the maturity seems like already because of the late start. Has that been one of the advantages that you had in the ring over a lot of guys? Yes, but at the same time, just because you start late don't mean you're gonna have the IQ for it. Right. My coach built my IQ from the jump, and with a lot of talking and a lot of demonstrating with real simple stuff. And so, but I was so desperate at getting ahead at this sports where I wanted to be at the top so bad to where I actually lived in my gym. Right. Um, gym on Lee Road and um, the Beltway and Lee Road. Right, right. And so it was a big warehouse, hot during the summer, real hot and cold during the winter. Okay. And so we had no shower. I had bird bath in the zinc. Like, <laughs> for real. We had a bedroom in the back. Right. Everything was connected. So I'm, when I leave out the, the room, which was an office room, but we turned into a bedroom, I walk 20 feet down the hallway and you got the boxing gym. Right. So I wake up in the mornings, go jog, train, bird bath in the zinc. We had a portable stove. Mm. We would cook. I cook some at the stove, eat, rest, and I'm back at it. Right. So I did that for like six, seven months. Like I wanted to get ahead. I wanted to get better so badly that I gave a, I gave up comfort. So it was literally your life. Yeah, I gave up comfort to sleep in this. I didn't have to sleep in this gym. It was a right. warehouse. I, I wake up sweating bricks. <laughs> Uh, waking up freezing, like I stayed in this gym for months just to get ahead in this sport, just to get better, just so I can say, man, uh, it was too many people who I was seeing who was getting attention that I know I can beat, right. or people who I already right. beat, they was getting attention, I was like, I've been slept on, but it was it was okay, I mean, I expected it, I was just going to beat them all up until they realized right. it, and that's eventually what I did. Make them come to you? Yeah, that's eventually what I did. Okay, and, and and that's basically what you did now starting your professional career, because like you said, you know, I had, had, to, had to change dance partners, you know, in the middle of the song, uh, starting you know, your professional career. I thought you did that admirably, and so now here you are, getting ready to fight in Vegas at the Mandalay Bay, where the, the, all the greats, you know, have fought. And you're going to be on television. You're going to be on Fox, man. What does it mean to you? Because this is a nice opportunity so early. But it's the kind that I thought that you should have had with the amateur career that you built, with the amateur record. And, and, and as decorated as you were as an amateur, I feel like this is actually where you should be, even though it's early. Is that how you feel? No, I'm going to definitely feel like that. Uh, <laughs> I work for all this, man. Uh, I work for all this. Internationally, I got a good resume. All the countries that I beat. And so, yeah, I feel like I work for this. Like, I held that number one spot down for years. Like, I was number five in the world. Right. Over 30, over so many different countries. So, I was like, man, I, I earned it. But at the same time, I know it's still a, a process. How many amateur fights did you have to? Man, let me lie to you. Uh, <laughs> I think it's um, 92. That's all? Yeah, is it? You know, I I would have, if, if someone would have asked me, I would have I would have automatically assumed that you had to have at least a couple hundred. Nah, 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 ninety two. That's what I was sitting and telling you. People's always thinking, how many fights you? I mean, how many fights you got? I like, man, I ain't got that many, bro. Like, when I got on the USA team, um, I probably had like sixty something, 
And then when I won my national title, I had five fights in five days. And I did, in my fifth fight, I fought the dude named Brian Sabato. He was there like, he had been number one for like the last couple of years. Right. And I took it to him. So, uh, and I took, that's how I got my number one spot. But people always ask, how many fights you got? I'm like, man, I ain't got that many, bro. Like, I'm trying to get to the 100. Like, I was trying to get to 100, but I, I didn't make it to 100, so. Wow, I, I would have been so wrong, you know, had I said that. So, okay, so when you think about that, when you look at a guy like Lomachenko, mm -hmm. who fought, I mean, I had like over 300 uh, amateur bouts. Yeah, 398. Wow. So, and, and of course, but, you know, he comes from a place where, I mean, there are a lot of countries, unlike America, there are a lot of countries out there that, that actually back their, their, their Olympians and things mm -hmm. like that, you know, the government funded. So it's a lot, you know, it's very different than what it is here in the States for a lot of these people. So it's a little easier for guys like that, you know, people down in Cuba and things mm -hmm. like that to have, you know, these lengthy, successful uh, amateur careers. So you look at a guy like like Lomachenko and what he's done and how early he fought for a title and all of that, and they took such great respect. They had such great respect for his amateur record. I mean, I almost counted like they were, you know, pro fights almost with, mm -hmm. with, with him being able to get in the ring, you know, with the champion. I think in what is like eighth, tenth fight maybe. No, nah, you know, he won the world title his third fight. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. You know, so do you see yourself, maybe not, you know, quite ramping up, you know, that quickly, but do you see after this fight on Saturday, you know, taking care of business in front of a national audience, do you see, you know, that ramping up for you as well? Yeah, most well, definitely. Um, it's different stuff for different folks. Lomachenko had a highly decorated, probably the best amateur career in history, and I was 300 and some fights shot from his number, so, <laughs> and two gold medals in the Olympics. So, what he got, he well deserved. And so, but with me, this is going to be a little different story. Mine's going to be a little slower, which, and it's supposed to be, but it won't be that slow. It, it won't take me you no know, four years to get to a world championship. I can tell you that. Um, I'm trying to be in the rankings within the next year and a half, two years. I, I can't imagine why you would. Yeah. All right. So now, now we go. We, we we let's get down to business now. We gonna, we gonna get down to business a little bit. Okay. You got guys. You talked about the different weight classes where you want to do your thing. Danny and Mikey Garcia have just agreed mm -hmm. in terms to get into the ring. Who you got in that fight? Ooh, I ain't thought about that one yet, but I'm gonna ride with Danny Garcia just because of the way you Mike gonna take that. Mikey looked so bad that last fight. Lord have mercy. Wait, wait. You're going to actually take Danny Garcia over Mikey Garcia? I think Mikey Garcia is a way better fighter. But I don't know if 147 is his, his weight class to be no. at. I mean, but he actually, I mean, he got in with, you know, with, with, with one of the Lions in the division. So, I mean, I mean, that, that almost looked like bringing your son to work day with, with him standing there in front of Spence. That, 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 looked, that looked very odd. I mean, he just looked overmatched size wise. He was overmatched, overskilled. It was over everything. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm gonna with Danny. Go see with that fight, man. I'm gonna with Danny. Well, I'm gonna have to get back with you on that because I'm taking Mike. I'm taking yeah. Mike. I haven't been impressed. Yeah, that's, with that's that's a good choice. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not really impressed with Danny Garcia at see, all. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not at all. The last fight that Danny Garcia had, where you thought he really put it together and did something. Been a long time. That's what I'm saying. But I don't trust Mikey at 147. Ah. Uh, I, he's such a better boxer than Danny. Yeah, I, I agree. But that weight is something different, man. Like, if, he, <laughs> if this was a fight at 140 or 135, oh, yeah, it's Mikey all day. Right. But at 47, oh, man, Danny Garcia can still crack. So, man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, 
I think I'm going to get Quinn to change his mind before fight night. I think he's going to be over in, 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 in a Mikey corner with me by the time fight night comes. And I actually out. think I got a bet on this fight. I think I bet it with Mikey. <laughs> about two weeks ago, me and my homeboy, he said, what you got? I said, I got Mikey. I'm about to call him up. I got to renege on that one. Don't do it. Stick with Mikey. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, Pacquiao and Keith Thurman. I'm around Pacquiao. I'm riding with the old school dude. I'm riding with the OG on this. One. Wait a minute. Okay. Okay. Now I can't. I can't argue with you on that. I don't. I don't have any reason to believe that Thurman will win that fight, other than the fact that Pacquiao, for so many years, was a knockout artist. Okay. Not that he doesn't throw a bunch of punches. Not that he doesn't do combinations. Not that he doesn't move. Not that he runs out of gas. But you know, the the KO was his thing. And then he had this long stretch of like eight years without knocking anyone out until he just knocked out a guy who was really was knocked out by time, you know, Lucas Matisse, mm -hmm. by the time he got into the ring. So can he stand out? Can he be in front of a guy like Thurman for 12 rounds and not get stopped? Hell yeah. Man, <laughs> Man listen, I like Keith Thurman. But at the end of the day, we've but seen you Keith. Said, you said Danny can crack. Keith can crack. At the end of the day, we've seen Keith Thurman get hurt by lesser opposition. Yeah, he had his hands full with okay. his last kid. We didn't see him hurt two or three times to the body shot. With body shots, we didn't see him hurt with chin shots. But don't get me wrong, he still a survivor. He still made it out the fight. Right. But Pacquiao's going to... It's a different type of breed of fight. He's going to come from different angles. He is. He's going to throw a lot of punches. Don't get me wrong. Keith Thurman's going to be in this fight. It's, it's going to be a dog fight. But I'm riding <laughs> for Pacquiao. But wait, but isn't that the problem for Pacquiao? Because as long as Keith Thurman is in there, isn't that, I mean, if Keith Thurman just strictly looks for the KO, what, I mean, can Pacquiao actually stay in there for 12 rounds? Because he hasn't stopped anybody in a long time except, you know, Matisse. Other than that, and I don't even count that. Yeah, and Keith Thurman almost could have got stopped his last fight. So. He did. He was shaking in the last three rounds. It's, it's going to give you a question and say, okay. But he was just coming back. That's Russ. Yeah, so that's no, that's wrong. That's I, I, I count the Russ. I put the Russ in accountability because he was out for almost two years. Right. But then when you jumping there with the lines then with somebody like Pacquiao after two years, man, and, and you think it's going to be sweet, man. Pacquiao, finna, Pacquiao know what's on the line. His legacy is on the line as well, even though uh, he's already in the Hall of Fame. Right. But if he knows if he wins this fight, right. then he's in line for a mega fight with Earl Spence or Terrence Crawford. Right. So, yeah, you want this fight. Yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't be surprised if it ends by knockout. By either fighter. Right. By either fighter. When Thurman comes with them wild punches sometimes, when he does low hands, or Pacquiao coming straight down the middle with a straight left that Thurman don't see. Right. So it's gonna be an interesting fight, but I'm gonna ride with the I'm gonna ride with the vet. You going with the OG. I'm gonna ride with the vet with this one. Because right. I didn't see Thurman. Thurman done fought some dogs, but he didn't duck some too, so Yeah. <laughs> he ducked for two years. Yeah. He didn't duck some too. <laughs> okay. You dropped two names, Spencer Crawford, you know, they talked back and forth, there's been a lot of conversation. I I like both of these guys. And I, 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 I like I like Crawford. The one knock that I have on Crawford, if I can do such a thing, is that I'm not a fan of the competition that he's fought up until this point. We talk about best pound for pound and all that stuff, you know, and we, of course, you can't have that conversation without talking about Canelo Alvarez. And I give Canelo the edge in my pound for pound list because I think he's fought better competition. You know, is... That a factor when you look at a guy like Crawford going into the, you know, when he gets in, get, gets a chance to get in the ring with a guy like Spence, is that lack of of, of competition, so to speak, going to be a problem? No, not at all. I know both of these dudes personally. And then when you look at Terrence Crawford's resume, he's fought a lot of dogs. You 
look at Earl's resume, Earl has too, but Earl has fought a better opposition just by one fight. Because Mikey Garcia is better than everybody Terrence Crawford has fought. Exactly. But Gamboa still was a dog. Yeah, but, 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 and, uh, but Gamboa, yeah. I, and, I, and I like him. Gamboa just had a weak chin, but as far as boxing skills, right. he was still superior. Coming off of a bit of a layout too, you know, and then the whole, you know, jail right. thing. Oh, that's his fault. You should stay out of trouble. I know, but I'm just saying, all that, it, all that can be a factor mm -hmm. for some guys. It is, you know, there are some guys that when they get between the lines in the ring, you know, that's the safe haven. They forget about all that other stuff. I don't know if that's what he did, so I, I have to kind of factor that in. You know, would he have that? And then size is a little bit because Gamboa's a little smallish, you know, kind of thing. So I got to give that edge suspense in the competition. And so ultimately, I give, if, if we're just talking, you know, pound for pound and that kind of list, whatever, I got to put right now, I'm, I'm doing a ranking. I rank Spence higher than, than Crawford right now. I don't. Uh, <laughs> because when you're talking about pound for pound, you're talking about undisputed. Terrence right. Crawford was the first undisputed champion in a long time you since. Know, in a while. I think since Bernard Hopkins, and so ain't nobody done it. And then ever since he done it, everybody's talking about doing it. Right. You can unify. We have unification bouts all the time, but it's a difference when you own every title in the division. Right. And there's no, there's no alley but through you. There's right. no highway but through you. Right. And so nobody's done that. Canelo's on the verge of doing it. He has only one more title. That's with Demetrius Andrade. Right. But for my top pound for pound, I got Chance Crawford number one. Then I got Canelo number two. Then Lomachenko number three. And the reason I got Canelo number two is because, man, Canelo didn't fault. Everybody you asked him to fault. Exactly. But he but. got he got a couple gifts on the road in <sighs> there. And so with that, he only got one gift in mind. That was that Laura fight. But he didn't beat Laura. You don't think so? No, 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 no. You know, I, I watched the fight. I thought uh, Ursulandi Laura did a lot of nice things. The problem that I have in that fight that, that I don't mind giving it to Canelo is because I just felt like Laura left so much meat on the bone. If, if defensively, he made Canelo look a little foolish, mm -hmm. you know, in that fight. But I don't know if he ever did enough offensively to take that fight, you know. And so he, I, think, I feel like he kind of let himself down because if he had got on the gas a little bit offensively, I think he would have won that fight. Yeah, because he had, okay, we say Canelo had three close calls, the Laura fight and the both of the Triple G fights, even though I thought he won the Triple G fight. But the world says he had three close calls. When you got fighters like Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence, they ain't had a close call. Everything right. is clean, right. cut, right. flush, knockout, right. brutal. <laughs> You're right. And so they, it's, it's nothing to question. It's right. nothing to debate. Right. And pound for pound means offense, defense. Like you're good with both. And Terrence Crawford's good with both. He is. Earl Spence is he good with both. He lefty every now and again. Yeah, so no, he switched lefty almost every fight. So. Uh -huh. We ain't seen nobody switch like that and be this good and this efficient at it since Marvin Hagler. And I honestly think he's better than Marvin Hagler when it comes to switching. Because wow. Hagler would have issues when he fought out of the orthodox style. That's why he lost that fight to Sugar Ray Leonard. He stayed orthodox two, one round too long. Right. But when he switched to southpaw, he had way better success. Mm -hmm. And so, with that being said, yeah, I got Chance Crawford number one, Canelo number two, Lomachenko number three. And then the list goes on from there. Right. But um, yeah, man. I, I get okay. So you talk about you know undisputed, you know uh, getting all the bells, all, all roads lead through me. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? There's a gentleman who is who is two who is uh, three quarters of the way to being the undisputed heavyweight champion because Andrew Ruiz has three of the four major belts. He took them off of Anthony Joshua, and yeah. so Deontay Wilder, owner of the WBC, but Andy has the WBO, the WBA, and the IBF. You know, so 
when you look at that fight, and there were some people who said going into that fight that Ruiz would give him trouble. You know, did that surprise you what you saw? No, I thought Ruiz. I mean, y'all sleeping on Ruiz. Don't think this little chubby man ain't finna go in here and fight. This man <laughs> finna go in here and fight. And I never trusted Anthony Joshua's chin. Never. Never. And I was like, man, it just take one. Right. And I don't trust Anthony Joshua's chin, and I didn't. And so, with that being said, yeah, I was, I was, I was congratulating Anthony Ruiz because the world was sleeping on him. And then he, after the interview, he had a post interview. He told his mom, "You ain't got to struggle no more." And so anybody who's fighting for their family, because right. Anthony Joshua already know what it's like to be rich. He been rich for so long and at a young age. Oh yeah, got a whole country yeah. behind. Yeah, him. at a young age. So when that man went in there and beat him and was able to provide better, a better living circumstances for his family, I was all for that. I was all for that. When the struggle is over, it's over. You ended in a bang. He ended in a bang. But he ain't been beating Deontay Wilder. I don't give that. What'd you say? Okay, who they put in front of? You know, you know, they. Nah, man. That left hook that Joshua dropped him with, he wouldn't have got back up if that was a Deontay Wilder right hand. Right. He wouldn't have got back up. Right. And so, I mean, I mean it's gonna be a good fight. He gonna have to come. He gonna have to come. He can't sit back out and box Deontay Wilder from the outside. He gonna have to come to him, and he got to put that pressure on. Him. But I'm still riding Deontay Wilder because yeah. not because of the skills, right. but because that right hand is so destructive. Oh, he kicks like a mule. There's no doubt about that. There are a lot of people that are saying, though, however, that Deontay Wilder should leave Ortiz alone. They, they should leave King Kong alone. Is that a mistake for him to go back? No, he's gonna knock him out again. <laughs> I lost a thousand dollars betting on Ortiz that fight. I bet on Wilder. And in the last couple fights. With Ortiz, you seen Ortiz is getting hit a little more than he is. He's getting hit more than he you, and so and Wilder power carry, he can knock you out in the first round on the twelfth. It don't right. matter. Right. So it only take one. Right. Ask Brazil. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm gonna ride Wilder again. I ain't gonna bet on him, but I'm gonna ride Wilder again. Did you see uh, uh, the post fight um, interview in the locker room after the Wilder, after the last Wilder fight? No. Did, if you, I'm gonna have to pull up a picture for you. Let you check it out. Brazil. He looked as if he had been in a car wreck. If you see his face, it is his entire face is full. Both eyes are black, the entire face is full, just from that punch. Yeah, man. The heavyweight division. See, that's the thing, beauty about the heavyweight division. It's not like it used to be, but it's coming back into prominence. You think so? Yeah, so there ain't no Vander Holyfield's no more in the heavyweight division. Right. There ain't no big dudes moving like him and Riddick Bow. Right. Floating around, taking big shots, but keep oh, coming. Oh, man. Like what, how they what doing. What could Riddick Bow have done? Like in the welterweight division, like you don't see big heavyweights like that no more. So right. with that being said, since it's coming back the way it's coming back, mm -hmm. it'll never be the same because the NFL is offering these college kids so much money. Right. It'll never be the same. And so, and if it does be the same, it. This is how it starts, right? Because it's bringing more attention and light to it. So, but man, yeah, because I've talked about that on on the program before. Is that you know it's so tough to get a uh, a heavyweight champion from the U.S. because everybody that would be heavyweight champion is either playing power forward or linebacker. Yeah, and so yeah, it ain't too many of them who started as a young and worked their way up and became. They all start late. Majority of them right. all start late off. I got injured in football right? and just decided that they want to still stick around in the sport and know how to fight and want to go to boxing. So, but, now nah, ain't no more Evander Holyfields and Riddick Bowes and them big, right. nah, ain't no more of them right now. Hopefully they'll come back because if they, if, if it ever was to come back, say if three of them, four of them came back, the heavyweight division will rule boxing. Oh, always. It will rule because ain't nothing like a big person who can fight. Oh, man. And so, all attention right now as far as boxing goes is in between 160, and 147. Right. 
But if the heavyweight division was like it was when Evander Holyfield and Tyson was fighting, right. the the light on 147 would be so dim. Man, can you imagine, even when you look at a guy like Razor Ruffin, what would he do to this heavyweight division right now? You know, guys like that. You know, and then and then of course, uh, what uh, my, my guy who like the, the best heavyweight that we've had probably in the past, uh, you know, 20 years, you know, outside of, since Mike Tyson, the best heavyweight since Mike Tyson ended up in prison. Um, uh, Who? Ike Buche. Man, you crazy. Man, uh. Well, nobody been in Vanna. Man, Vanna was beast. No, I said since Mike. Oh, since Mike. Okay, since yeah, Mike. yeah. Since yeah, that yeah. era. You know, that was the best heavyweight, you know, best American heavyweight since then, and he ended up getting locked up, so. Yeah. I feel like, uh, with the heavyweight division, I feel like Mike. I, okay, this is my prediction on heavyweights. Joe Lewis is the greatest heavyweight champion ever. But Muhammad Ali was the greatest man that ever right. fight this sport. Because right. a lot of stuff that he did that he wasn't supposed to do and he got away with it. Similar to what Roy Jones did because they were just athletically gifted. Um, and it, and that, that, that just broke my heart about Roy Jones because mm-hmm. his, his, his game, his fight game didn't mature with his, with, with his, with, with his age. Mm-hmm. And he continued to try to be the fighter that he was and, and those bad habits caught up with him. Roy you know, Jones' problem was dropping that 18 pounds of muscle. That's what hurt him. That's what Absolutely. Him. That's what ended his career because before... Okay, Roy Jones fought in the same era when Floyd Mayweather fought. Right. And Roy Jones was so dominant. And so good. Nobody ever mentioned Floyd Mayweather's name as far as being pound for pound. Right. It was Roy Jones. Like you had to right. all roads led through Roy. Right. And so, but him, he was another athletically gifted fighter too that can knock you out with either hand. Right. He did a lot of stuff wrong as far as when he went to fundamentals, but dropping eighteen pounds of muscle was. Yeah, it, it, I, I personally thought he should have stayed at heavyweight. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, he should have retired right after he won that title. Well, true. If he, if, but if he wasn't going to retire, he should have stayed a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of guys out there that he could have that he could have beaten mm-hmm. and made a lot of money and continued to be Roy Jones and do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he could have beat up on the Chris Burns of the world and those those guys and continue to fight in the heavyweight division if he didn't want to quit. But I agree. I wanted him to retire after that. Him mm-hmm. him him beating Ruiz was was awesome, and I felt like he should have stopped right there. Mm-hmm. But you know, he did not, and he fought so much longer after that. I talked with. Um, Ronnie Shields uh, about that same thing last week and we talked about fighters that may stick around a little bit too long and some of those things because he trained Chris Ariola, you know, mm-hmm. for a while and he actually mentioned on the program that Chris he saw him not too long ago and Chris actually came up to him and apologized for not working hard as he could have and should have because I asked Ronnie uh, leading into that that comment I asked him how much of Ariola did we actually see? Because it seemed like there was a lot of talent there that you never saw really, you know, take shape in the ring. You know, he never looked to be in the kind of shape you would you would want or expect, you know, a fighter to be in, you know, going into that kind of contest. Mm-hmm. And and um, he said that Ariola actually apologized to him for his lack of work because he was uh, a Mexican star because they had, you know, they never had. Um, a true Mexican-born champion, and he looked like he may have been on that way. That he had become such a celebrity that he didn't work hard anymore. You know, so when you when you when you have that situation, do you see guys now being where you are in boxing with the experience that you now have, having traveled the world and look at talent on all levels? Do you look at some guys and you kind of inside shake your head and think like, man, this guy could be so good if he put in the work? Yeah, I know a couple people like that, and I try to give them some words of advice, like. But I can't worry about another man's career. I can only worry about mine. <laughs> right. I know I'm hungry. I'm starving. Right. But you know, say they, they say that's the dog that hunts best. Yeah, so. Hungry. 
Although in my case, the wolf that hunts best, but <laughs> but it's it's a couple people like that. I, with me, the situation's different. Like I've reached the highest point in my amateur career, and, and right now I'm at a point in my pro career where I want that top spot. Like I need it. Like I gotta be. I gotta be up there competing with the best soon. So that's my hunger every day. Like I get up and run in the morning. I train two or three times a day. I run at night before I go to bed. Like. I don't got nothing. Boxing is my life. Without boxing, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I got my boxing. And I got my dogs, and so <laughs> the pit bull. Yeah. With that being said, man, this is my life. Like I dedicated everything. I, like I said, I gave up pleasures for this sport. So it's a selfish sport, of course, and it requires a lot of your time and a lot of sacrifices. But it's all worth it, man. It's all worth it. Getting your hand raised at the end. When you when you got that um, that that. Um... I, like I said, I wasn't in the building uh, for the first one, but I was for the second one. Mm-hmm. And man, what what is it? Fifty five strong. Yeah, man, fifty five strong. It's more than the saying, man. Fifty five strong is a lifestyle. Uh, and for those who don't know or understand what fifty five strong means, my son' football number was number fifty five. He played tight end, mm-hmm. and so my son died. He passed away in January two thousand and seventeen, January tenth, in a car accident. And so, the car accident happened on the 7th. He passed on the 10th. So, he gave us three days to pray for a miracle and see if anything else would change. And I know my boy, he was bad. So, I'm pretty sure he fought as hard as he could for them three days before God decided to call him home. So, the saying 55 strong came at his candlelight. And uh, him and his mom and one of his friends had said, they had said number 55. And she said strong 55. And then it rolled off my tongue, 55 strong. Right. And I've been using it ever since that day. And that's the slogan. That's the lifestyle. I'm going to start a food chain. Right. Like 55 Cravings, 55 Strong Boxing Gym. Don't get right. me wrong. My clothes, everything is going everything I do in my life is going to represent my son. It's going to be 55 strong, 55 strong. Promotions tagged on everything. I love it. And see, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, uh, I, I remember you getting the microphone that night, and you said the last one of the last things you said before you got out of the ring mm-hmm. was 55 strong, and the building went crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody who, majority of people there with my family, friends, there's a lot of people that I've never met before. Like, it's crazy because uh, I've had people there that came to that fight, I ain't since I was 12 years old. Wow. I ain't seen some of them since I was 12, 13, 14. I ain't laid eyes on them. I ain't seen it, but they said they wanted to come. They hit me up on Facebook. I was like, yeah, well, come on. And I sold them their tickets, and they came. They supported me, and I appreciate that because I had family members who they've been knowing me for 28 years. And right. I, ain't, I ain't seen them now. So I wasn't complaining. It was just it was just a good feeling. No, it was, it was a great moment, mm-hmm. like I said, because I didn't know where the 55 Strong came from. Mm-hmm. And so to hear that, it makes so much sense to me now because I'm telling you, when you said it, you know, the building went crazy. The building went, and I, and I got to say, and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here, you know, uh, on on with, with with local boxing promotions, you know there are a lot of you know it's, it it can be so segmented where people come to see their fighter, they come to see their guy. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say that on that night there were more people there at the end of the night than I've seen in a long time, and they were there to see you, you know, do your thing. And I thought that was pretty impressive, and that had to make you feel good. Yeah, it made me feel good. Uh, I mean, I came to like I just wanted to give a good show. And I had knockout on my mind. <laughs> you had a tough guy in front of you, Jim. Yeah, it was hot in there. It was very hot. He was in there sweating. <laughs> so I was like, man, I know my mama. She ain't the type of person who likes to sweat. 
So I was like, man, I gotta have a good show. I gotta make it worth sending this heat for. That's right. And so when the shot caught him and put him down, I didn't think that was the shot that was gonna get him, but it got him. So which... you know, it was a shot he didn't see, and mm -hmm. I because I, I was there at ringside, and I tell you, it was a uh, he was a game fighter. Mm -hmm. I liked I liked his demeanor, you know, his, his body language, and he was like, you know, yeah, I know that I'm not here. You know, he knows he knows who he's in the ring with. Mm -hmm. He know he know obviously he knows who you are, and he knows that you are are the favorite to win this fight. No, uh, copy, uh, Box Ring had him no, favorite to win. You know, I, I was going to say that. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the hearts and minds of the people that's here, I mean, yeah. you're, you know, you're the main event, you're closing the show, you're the last guy that's going to step into the ring tonight, so you are expected to win. Mm -hmm. But according to Box Ring, yeah, they had me losing. They had him as the favorite. Mm -hmm. Because he had a night, nice, he's a young, he's a young pro as well, but you know, undefeated young pro. So he had a lot going for himself as well. And so, you know, I'm not gonna say he has a lot to do because it's still early in his career, and so everybody can bounce back from an early loss. But he certainly wanted to win that fight because he knew in the hearts and minds of the fans he was not the favorite. You were, and he wanted to he wanted to shake things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't gonna let him. <laughs> he tried. But you understand, like, I fought on a big stage before, not just Houston. I'm getting wrong, I'm comfortable in fighting Houston. I fought in Vegas before. It's not my first time finna be fighting in Vegas on the 23rd. Right. I fought in different countries in front of 5,000 people. Right. So I've been in front of them, and, and I'm in a different country where they right. cheering the opponent's name, right. and I still beat them. Right. So they don't, so them cheering my name, that's just more motivation. Like, I was 1 0 at the time, he was 2 0. My last opponent was undefeated, and his name was Big. Like, he was a tough dude. Like, mm -hmm. and shout out to him because me and him actually we speak like right. through Facebook. He's a good dude. Uh, but I'm not taking no. I'm not taking no. I'm not taking no shortcuts when it comes to fighting journeymen's and bums. Right. Like, right. This is gonna be the third opponent in a row right. that's been undefeated. Right. And so I'm gonna give them all their first L's, and we are gonna keep going. <laughs> and my next opponent they may very well be undefeated as well, right. or he may have one loss or whatever. But he's gonna be somebody formidable that's gonna get me up the rankings quicker. Right. And so, but yeah, like because I know who what I am, I know what I've done. And there's not a man on this earth that I feel, and I love work. Like right. I feel like the better the opposition, the better I fight. Right. When you come in the ring and you got that smoke, oh, I want all that smoke. <laughs> yeah, I want all that. Let's go. That. I want all that. Okay, so <laughs> I love that. So you talk about fighting in, in, in foreign countries, and that, and that is a good thing. And uh, that's one of the things I talk about with some boxers. You know, you want to fight on the roads. You want to get familiar with, you know, with, with unfriendly environments. Have you ever stepped off the gas in another country or in a foreign environment as not to, you know, piss off the crowd, not to make anybody too angry? You know, I have some friends, people that, I, that, I, that I've spoken with. I actually have one friend. Uh, who played uh, professional basketball overseas. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how um, when he first went overseas to play, that he wanted to put on a good show. So he got he got loose on a break. They kicked it out to him. And so he said he remember going to the paint and jumping and rocking it like Jordan and throwing it down, mm -hmm. you know, the reverse. And he said somebody threw it and hit him with a with a nine volt battery. <laughs> Man, not in other countries off. He's, so he's like he learned that mm -hmm. when he was playing on the road, that from then on he laid it up because they would get so upset. Have you ever got off the gas in another in another country? No, you know, we own the gas. <laughs> we own it full throttle. Like, if one of our teammates was fighting in the ring, like, because Team USA never really came in big bulks of people. Like, right. it'd be probably 10 of us tops in other countries. They'd be having 50, 60 people, and they'd be in the crowd cheering. <laughs> and I'm rooting for my teammates. Man, we USA, US, we chanting, we talking trash. Like, they looking at us. What you looking at? Like, Right. That's how we do it in America. Like we gonna sport ours. Like we didn't care. Right. But uh, now nah, we never let off the gas. 
when my teammates fought, whether it was Troy, Duke, Tiger, Jared, Richard, man, Keyshawn, Khalil, man, you heard our voice. Mike right. Angeletti, you heard our voice. We streaming right. top of our lungs. We don't care, like, because we already know where we at. Right. A lot of places don't like America, so, yeah, you're going to get our full support. <laughs> I don't care who, like, I ain't never, like I said, I ain't never fear nobody, so I don't care if I'm in, I understand I'm in foreign territory, and, like, I was in Honduras, like, we had security security detail wherever we went because man, people crazy out there. Right. And so when we was flying though, like we never we never was in any danger. We never was in any harm. Like right. but the farthest place we ever been was Germany, Ham Hamburg, Germany. And that was fun. Uh-huh. But uh other than that, nah man, we be on the gas. We don't never let off. <laughs> Especially when we fight, we be on it. We don't care. Okay. So uh let me ask you this. So is there anybody that uh, that you fought with on on the, on on the um, on the U.S. team that you see yourself crossing paths with in the pro? Yeah, a couple of, them. like, and that's just how the game go. Right. Because two of my brothers that was on the USA team ended up in my weight class in my last year mm-hmm. on the USA team. But we never, none of us fought each other. Right. But them them two fought each other before. But yeah, it's a couple of them. I mean, we just not at that point yet. Right. And. They st- right, right now we brothers, and when we fight, we still gonna be brothers. But that's how deep our bond goes. But that's for later, later, later down the line. So, right. but, but yeah, I, I gotta yeah, I'm gonna bump across heads, couple, couple <laughs> of them. I'm gonna go up with a couple of them, and and, and those are gonna be my most formidable opponents because my brothers some dogs. Every last one right. of them, yeah. every last one of them. And so when we get good work in, they know my style. I know theirs, but I got the edge so far because I'm in the pros already. Right. And I'm building the experience. But they're getting great experience, too, because they're going to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to balance out. Right. But when the time comes, the time comes. But other, as of right now, but you never know what somebody's path go in life, uh, how somebody's path may take. So, But other than that, yeah, we're going to cross, cross paths. I'm going to cross with a couple of them. All right, let me ask you. We're going to do this one, one, one quick question here, and then we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to continue with my guy, Quentin Randall. I don't know how much time he has with this mm-hmm. one, but I'm loving the conversation. So let me ask you this. So you, you travel the world. Mm-hmm. As part of the U.S. national team, mm-hmm. you know you've had your raise, your hand raised many times. Mm-hmm. You and your teammates. Mm-hmm. You know you, I, I've, I've seen the photos. You got more belts and trophies than, than any one man should be allowed to have. When you stand there, and you know the, the national anthem is playing. You know that kind of thing. You know uh, the, the kind of pride that you have. You know being there. You know you like I said your hand raised. Watching your teammates get their hand raised. Then we have the the controversy, if you will. Uh, in like the NFL, where the, the guys are saying, I'm, on, I'm not I'm going to sit during the national anthem, I'll kneel during the national anthem, I'm not coming out there during the national anthem. Are you, but but then we also talk about uh, social injustice as well. Mm-hmm. You know, are you conflicted at all when you see those stories, when you hear those stories, knowing knowing that the pride that you feel when you're standing there and, 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 that, and that anthem is playing and you know what it means when, when, that, when that song is playing, that means that you right now, I'm the best in the world. Yeah, I'd be conflicted because I'm Team Kaepernick all day. But when I'm in another country, I represent USA. Right. And so I don't want to embarrass my country by taking a knee and they right. looking at us like, look, right. at these, look at these Americans. Right. And so, but yeah, the time I wanted to go up there, take a knee a couple times when I said that national anthem. But I was like, man, I'm not going to. I had to lead by example because I'm the team right. captain. If I right. did it, my teammates would start doing it. Right. And, it just looked bad on Team USA, and so right. we represent America when we go to other countries. So I just had to be composed, keep my composure. 
Oh yeah, but I was I was gonna be the black sheep of the group <laughs> as I already was, but I just kept it cool. But, but you did think about it. Oh yeah. Did you and any of your teammates ever discuss that situation? Did anybody ever bring it up? Did anybody ever suggest it? Was it ever did it ever reach the point where you guys had to talk about it? Nah, one of my my bro Tiger, he got up there and threw up the black mouth fist one time. <laughs> they put the fist up. Yeah, he put the fist up, but okay. that was it, like but they were they were young. You know, they don't really understand the depth. They understand it, but not as, right. as if to send somebody who's 28, about to be close right. to being 30. And me and Coach K, we talked about it, but he, was he of course, he advised against because he's a, a coach that he was like, it ain't going to look good. Then them people's paying me. So I was like, yeah, I can't mess up my money. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not mess up your yeah, money. Let's not mess up my money. So, but, man, trust me, I wanted to. I, I wanted to bad because stuff that goes on in this world today, man, is crazy. Like, it's sad, it's sickening. I swear I feel like we're in our last days because all I see nowadays is parents killing their kids. It's tough. Children going missing. It's all revolves around children. Children going missing. Parents killing their kids. Kids killing themselves for being bullied and everything. Like this generation to me, I personally think this generation is weak. Right. Extremely weak. Kids don't go outside and play no more. No. They be in the house watching another kid on YouTube play a video game and they got their own video game right but they don't want to play it. They just watch somebody else play. What's the point of that? Like, there ain't no more curveball, no more basketball, no right. more folk square, no more racing in the street, no more slap boxing. Folk square. Yeah, no more no more nothing, no more jump rope, no more doing anything. I actually and, saw a story on television where they have this school where kids aren't allowed to touch one another at all. So they can't play tag. They don't high five, they do like an air five. Mm -hmm. They can't, they're not allowed to touch one another, like, you know, so you can't hug another child. They do, like, this little air hug thing where they stick their hands out and kind of wiggle their fingers, is that kind of thing. And they actually jump rope without rope because they don't, you know, they don't want kids to embarrass themselves by not being able to do it. So they jump rope without rope. That's no stupid stuff I've heard. Like, <laughs> as a kid, like, I grew up in the uh, era where it was summertime. Like, right now, it's summertime. I've been in the neighborhood. I don't see no kids outside. Outside, Everybody right. in the house. Man, my mama kicked us out. Don't Man, come you know in how there. much darker I got every summer? I was in a rush to get out there, though. Boy, my mama put us out. Get out of this house. Don't and come don't back. In don't don't come in and out the door. Don't let no air out. None of that. Nothing. But in this day and age, like, kids are weak. So, and... And I'm not going to lie. I blame the parents because you're in control of everything. You know how you was raised. You know what made you tough. And right. you're letting your kids, it's a choice to let your kids sit in front of their game all day. Right. And say, say, boy, go outside and go do something. Go play. Right. right. Uh, it's the summertime. You're not finna sit on this game. I'm finna put you in a sport. Right. Or you finna do something. Something. But you ain't finna be on this game right. all day. Right. But even as kids, didn't we want to didn't we want to compete and compare ourselves? Yeah, we, was we used to wrestle. Yeah, all right. We like, was competitive. We wanted to know. We 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 put ourselves, we we pitted ourselves against one another. And we don't do that with kids. We have we see kids play soccer and you don't keep score. Everybody gets a trophy. Everything so, changed. My son stayed outside. He's right. I was taking him, we was playing basketball together, we was swimming together, we were playing video games, but he was outside. Right. Like so but it's different nowadays. Like I've never seen kids kill themselves more today than I've ever ever in my life because of bullying. When somebody bullied me when I was a kid, right. man, I was too scared to go tell my mama because she right. was finna whoop me for letting somebody bully and me. Take you back and then over take there me over there and we finna fight. Right. But nowadays, the kids won't say nothing. For whatever reason, they're not confident to go confide in their parents or tell somebody bullying them. They don't want to fight back, man. It's it's horrible. It is. And then when you start to see the statistics when they talk about, you know, uh, teen suicide and, and now child suicide, mm -hmm. I mean, you're subject to turn on 
uh, you know, look on social media or just whatever, whatever, whatever mobile device or news, however you receive your information. And then you'll, you'll see a story about some 10 year old, you know, who's taking his or her own life mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that just was so unheard of at one point. And I don't think we realize exactly what we're doing to our kids. Yeah. And it's just sad. And I see parents killing themselves that have kids. Like you got to understand as a child, as a kid, you're supposed to bury your parents when the time is right. When the time is right. If you force that time, if you speed that time up, when your children are still kids, you understand you are taking a coward's way out. Because for one, it's not about your kids no more after you're talking about killing yourself. You right. took your kids out the equation because no matter what you go through in life, they're going to be better off with you here Absolutely. than when you're not here. The trauma you're going to put them through when you exit this world from taking your own life can ultimately lead them to doing the exact same thing. Right. But you don't take that in consideration because you're so so deep into your own depression. Like right. the medicine to anything you're going through in life, especially if you're a parent and you have young kids, is prayer and looking at your kids and saying, they're worth, that's all the motivation I need. That should be that's, all the That's motivation all the motivation you need because when you're doing good, they're doing good. Absolutely. If you're doing bad, they're doing bad. Right. And so it affects everything. It's a chain reaction. So my son is my motivation for everything. Like, I went through hell and back to support him and become a better father for him. It took me a while to get on track with it because I was making mistakes. I was, but I got it. Right. I got it down pat. And so, and I did a hell of a job the last few years before he went home. So, but other than that, like, when you're talking about killing yourself, man, you ultimately are taking a coward's way out. There's no paradise for you in the next life that you take your own life, especially if you're a religious person, you believe that. So... You can't say, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to meet you in the afterlife. No, you're not. You ain't going to meet me. You ain't going to meet me in heaven, brother. Right. You're going to be in hell burning. Wherever I'm going, that road don't lead you. Yeah, the road you're taking don't yeah, lead you. Yeah, it don't lead there. Like, there's better ways. Like, so that's why I get my number out. I get my number out to so many people, so many strangers. Like, man, just talk. You ain't got to do this. You want right. to talk about anything, just right. hit me up. And a lot of people be going through some serious issues. And a lot of people be going through some real common issues. Right. And I was like, man, especially some women, some men. I was like, man, women are the strongest creatures in the earth. Right. Women have been, it's been single black women raising kids by themselves since the beginning of the time. Right. So if they did it to ultimately lead to how you got here, you can do it you to ultimately lead to how your grandchildren going to get here. Right. So, but yeah, man, it's just, we live in a crazy world. And so <laughs> I try to just be the best person I can be, give my number out to so many people and like, I just got in touch with a juvenile detention officer lady. She reached out to me because when I posted, I want to talk to the kids. Mm -hmm. She reached out to me. I talked to her yesterday. Uh, she said she works with kids from ages from 10 to 14. And, uh, That's a good age. She's doing uh, an event for me so I can come speak to the kids and their parents. And like, I've told several people, man, if you got a child that's getting in trouble, man, bring him to my gym. Right. He can train there for free. Right. I, give him, I know I'm in Katie. I'm kind of far, so he can train there for free. I mentor him. I mentor a grown man I ain't never met before in my life. But getting out of prison, they just don't know which way to go. They don't know kind of right. which way they want to head. And I just give them the best advice I can give. give them, tell them what I've been through and what I did personally. If it's different strokes for different folks, of course. But it'll give you a little insight on where you might want to start. Because a lot of people, 20 some years old, they don't know what they're supposed to do in life. They don't know what they well, call it. I think more than anything, what you give them uh, in situations like that, what you give them and what they need is hope. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. So it doesn't even have to be the fact that you know exactly which way to go, that I know what route to take and what method is going to get you the ultimate success that you're looking for. But just hope because that's something that that provides to know that a person like yourself, that one, I have a story to tell myself. So I'm not coming from a position of privilege and, you know, I, I, the silver spoon, so to speak. So I, I've been, I've traveled this road, so I understand. I don't, I don't just know what you're talking about. I've just heard about it. I haven't just read about it. I've lived it. And so when you can approach a person with that, mm-hmm. they have so much more respect for that. And then they get an opportunity to see, well, yeah, just like you said, if B-Hop can do it, mm-hmm. you know, and to, and to these individuals that, you, that you're encountering on a daily basis, you're a lot more real than Bernard Hopkins. Not that he isn't real, but I'm just saying you're right here. You're tangible. You're not on television, although you will be on Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's that, and so it provides a bit of hope to those individuals, and I think that's what's important because ultimately those choices have to be made by them, and everybody's going to have to figure out their own path, but at least they know that there is, that, that light at the end of the tunnel doesn't have to be a train. And I think it's important that you get an opportunity to help them understand that. I am David Austin. You'll listen to The Morning Drive with David Austin. And show Underwood Radio heard exclusively on Houston's home for jams is 95.3 Jams. I'm in studio right now with none other than the Alpha Wolf himself. He is Quick Draw, Quentin Randall, and he's going to be fighting on Fox this weekend on a great card that you guys don't want to miss. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to get into the I'm Glad You Asked relationship question of the day, and we're going to see what this boxer can tell, what he can do. He wants to help the people, but we got somebody that's going to need his help. Mm-hmm. We're going to see what Quentin has to say about that. We're going to be back right after this. Oh, my hell look bad. I'm going to cut this shit off. You going to cut it for the fight? Yeah, I may. Just to be more marketable. Just be more presentable. If I'm going to step on the stage like this. And then I, and I realize there's nobody with dreads, with locks at my weight class. It ain't, it ain't been. It haven't been in. I can't think of one. Terrence Crawford started off with locks. He cut his. Only person who got long hair in my weight class is Keith Thurman. No, he got long hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's nobody. No. You can't, not even at 140, not 154, not 160. What was the last dude in that weight class? What way did Livingstone Bramble fight? He had to, he had to. I can't think of nobody else. Yeah. I can't think of nobody either, so. And it's going to get to a point where it gets so long, it's going to be an issue when it comes to cutting weight. Can Hal get that happen? Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's down your back. <laughs> I don't know if you want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ultimately, where where, where do you see your, your greatest success? What weight? My greatest success is going to be at 147. Yeah. But I'm going to shock the world at 160. Now my first, these first fights been out at 154, mm-hmm. and so uh, you fighting at 154 or seven? 151. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to be 147, but dude couldn't make 147, so I told him we made 151. He's two and zero, I'm three and zero, so. Uh, so he's a pretty good size. Like far as physically wise, he, he's one inch taller than he's six one, mm-hmm. but I've fought people six three, but I've been sparring Jamel Charlo for the last month. He's six one. You think he's gonna rehydrate to what? For me? Him. Yeah. Well, he couldn't even make the 147. He's going to probably rehydrate for a previous size. Yeah, that's why I'm bringing him down to 151. Since he couldn't bring the 47, so he'll probably rehydrate up to 165. Mm. I'll be like at 162, 163. 
but at that weight, I feel like a monster. I feel like a pure monster when it comes to power and speed. I feel like I'm sharp. Like I feel like a monster at them big boy classes. So don't get me wrong, it don't benefit me because I'm dudes big too. But <laughs> but I feel like a monster at that weight class. My last opponent was big, man. He weighed in at 152. I weighed in at 153. So when this man stepped in that ring, he was all at 170. Mm. I was like, shit. You doing that, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Mm -hmm. He was a UFC fighter, so they cut weight different. They cut weight real different. But he was undefeated too. He just came off of beating somebody that was 6-0. And on his second fight. So I was like, oh no, brother, you ain't gonna come get me, brother. Nah, nah, nah. I don't know who you beat that was 6 0. <laughs> but this 2 0 fighter finna give you hell. You ain't, yeah. nah. I saw, I saw, um, I wanna say the, the ring announcer, Jeremiah, was streaming. So I got a chance to watch it. He was really, like a tough rock. Yeah, man. Uh, I like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, cool. Uh, but yeah, man, it was a nice, it was some nice fights on that card that night. But, uh, dude was tough, man. I knew he was coming to fight. Name was Cassius uh, Clay, and I like I said, I met him cool. Like I talked to him, he talked to me after the fight. He reached out to me on Facebook. I was just talking to him yesterday. We talked about dogs, cause he got a nice little dog. He just paid a nice little grip for. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was talking about dogs. He invited me to come out there to with him for his next fight. I'm gonna go out there. Like he was a good dude. Like I don't even know him that well, but you know, you get a good vibe from somebody. He's yeah. one of them type people. All right, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. I am David Austin, and welcome back to the Morning Drive with David Austin and Cheryl Underwood Radio, heard exclusively on Houston's home for jams. It is 953jams.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I still have in studio with me none other than the Alpha Wolf himself. I have Quentin Quick Draw Randall, who's going to be boxing at the Mandalay Bay this weekend, and you will find that on Fox. He's in with us this morning. We're talking about all things boxing and all things Wolfpack. How we doing this morning, Quentin? All right, I'm doing good. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. You were talking about, uh, we were talking about the, just the condition with, that we have with some of the kids and just the way things are in this world. I, I so and it, it made me think about a story that I that that I'd read earlier. There is um, an individual. Uh, I don't know if you saw the story, but there was a girl who was speaking with someone online, was being catfished by someone online who said that he was a millionaire, that actually convinced this girl that if she were to get video of sexually assaulting someone else or murdering someone else, that he would pay her $9 million for that video. And in, and, and, and in believing this nonsense, this young lady actually recruits another friend and they go out and they and they get this girl who is um uh, has a bit of a learning disability. Um, uh, I think she's 19 years old, not 17 or 19, but uh, mom says that because of the learning disability that she has, she operates on like a seventh grade level. Mm -hmm. So she's a little easier to manipulate, take advantage. They end up taking this girl off into the woods, duct taping her legs, and ultimately shooting her in the head. Because she thought she was going to get nine million dollars. I mean, the, the things, some of the things that we see our children do, are just things that I would love, I would like to believe that we as children weren't capable of. 
see, this is my first time hearing this story and actually breaking it down to me. Um, uh, this is disturbing. Like I said, we live in a real disturbed generation. Let's sort of say it's a lot of bad that goes on in the world, but it's a lot of good too. Absolutely. But that situation just real bad. Like, I don't know how you can catfish somebody in the first place. I don't know how people are so <laughs> gullible to let somebody catfish them, okay? Right. But. Better give you $9 million. You nine, know, that, I mean, that's ridiculous. That, that was actually one, that, one of her friends actually agreed uh, because he actually was charged as well because they used his car to actually abduct the girl and take her off mm -hmm. and drive her to this remote area. And and he re, um, told the police that he did it because she told him that if he allowed her to use his car in order to com help, you know, facilitate this crime being committed, that she was going to give him $500,000 mm -hmm. of the $9 million. I mean, just the... Just to be able to conceive just how ridiculous that all is. That's just something so terribly wrong with the way we are bringing up our kids. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and, and you can come to a generation where you actually bring your kids up right and something still go wrong. Right. Because of social media. Because they got access to cell phones too early. Right. I ain't getting no cell phones when I was in my teens. My mom <laughs> wasn't having it. What? I ain't getting no phone. Right. And so they got access to to phones, so they see stuff on social media that they have no business looking at as a child. Right, right. And so parents are letting them play video games that they have no business playing. Right. My son wasn't allowed to play Grand Theft Auto. You couldn't allow to play no game that was teen rated. Right. And so you, well, you couldn't watch rated R movies around me, like. Right. And so even some movies that were PG thirteen. Right. So with that being said, like, you can only shelter them for so much. You can do everything right, right. as a parent. And your kids still go do some crazy well, stuff. Well, I mean, you're right. The way it is with social media, the cell phones, and all this other stuff. You know, it's like you know the the story in the Bible, Adam and Eve, and the forbid and the forbidden fruit. You know, the apple. It's like we are all the kids are walking around with that apple in their hand. You know, they're they're, they're eating from that forbidden fruit because they're learning all these things that they shouldn't even know at this point. You're right. It does make it difficult. So we're gonna get into the the I'm glad you asked relationship question of the day. But before we do, Quentin. You know, so you got a lot of things going on. You know, I see a lot of success in your future. You know what I'm saying? I see those titles and that money coming along. So you got to be careful of the pitfall that come along with the money. So I want I want you to make sure that you don't let this happen to you. Daniel Beckett is 28 years old. He's a 28-year-old millionaire who has been found guilty of second-degree murder and involuntary manslaughter in the death of Askia Kafra who was 21 years old, was found naked and burned <laughs> in a burnt-out basement of a Bethesda, Maryland residence. <laughs> the, billionaire, uh, the millionaire stock trader was sentenced to nine years in prison on Monday in the death of a worker he hired to dig tunnels underneath his home, his suburban home in Washington, D.C., as protection from potential North Korean missile attacks. <laughs> so you can get nine years for a murder? The tunnels reached out some 200 feet and two stories beneath the home. Two stories beneath the home. This man is under this man's house digging two stories deep tunnels. <laughs> A fire breaks out. He's trapped under there and he's working naked already for whatever reason. That's part of the job. I don't know. They said in the story that the man would go pick him up. He would go pick his worker up, mm -hmm. 
making well, 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 uh, these shaded, these these uh, blackout glasses, so he couldn't see where he was taking. Them. Mm -hmm. So he blindfolds the man, brings him to his home, takes him into the basement where he's digging tunnels, two stories deep, two hundred yards out. <laughs> so look, Quinn, I don't want to hear stories like this about you after you start making. <laughs> no, you get no stories like that about me. You get nine years for killing somebody. That's crazy, but uh, well, he didn't literally kill him. He didn't murder him, mm -hmm. but he, you know, he was under the house and the fire broke out. Okay. And the man couldn't get out. No, you know, he was two. The, the, the tunnels were two stories deep and two hundred yards long. Under that, that's crazy. <laughs> because he's worried that Korea might launch missiles against America, so he's got to be ready. You got to be ready. Come on, you you want that smoke? That's a level of paranoia that I ain't trying to reach. <laughs> that's a level of crazy. I'm not. That's he over. He looking too deeply into it. Two like, stories. Can you imagine a tunnel two stories deep under your house? Nah. If I know I got a, a tunnel. Two story deep. I'm going down there with a gun. Somebody built this. <laughs> Somebody built down the there sleeping. He's gonna be the only man. See, laugh now, but he's gonna be the only man that makes it out of this thing alive, Quentin. Mm. <laughs> if, if they drop a missile on his house, he buried under all that. How you gonna get out? <laughs> Unless he got an exit, uh, uh, two hundred yards down the road. That's what the exit, the two hundred yards out. Was. Once the, I can get out down there, hopefully. I don't know what the plans were, but they said this is what happened. This man is being blindfolded, taken to this man's house, working naked under that big tunnel. What's that cartel dude name, man? Who was getting them tunnels built? Uh, I wonder if he worked for him. El Chapo. Uh, El Chapo. I wonder if he worked for El Chapo building them tunnels. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what that sound means. That is the greatest song ever made. That is something on your mind by D-Train. That means that there is something on somebody's mind out there. And that means it is time for the David Austin. I'm glad you asked relationship question of the day. And I got my guy, Q. Quick draw. The album of Quinn Brown is in there with me today. He's going to help us. You know, right there. Okay, Quinn. So you, you know, you've traveled the world. You've been around this globe a couple times. So you've seen a lot of things. So, you, you know, this question should be, whatever it is, you should be able to handle it right up your alley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go to the loving Miss Tara A. We're going to get this commercial. It's time for the David Austin. I'm glad you asked relationship question of the day. Take it away, Miss Tara A. Hey, it's Tara A. with the I'm glad you asked relationship question of the day. Today's question says, my husband attends a mega church and wants me to go with him. This is the type of church that has reserved seating for certain people and the pastor drives luxury cars. I grew up Catholic and I've drifted away from religion. However, these types of mega churches turn me off as I believe those types of values send the wrong message. This conversation with my husband always starts an argument. What should I do? Okay, for those of you who didn't hear that, this lady said that her husband has joined the megachurch and he wants her to join as well. She said that megachurch thing ain't her thing. She says she, this is the kind of church that has a signed seating. You know, we got to sit a certain place. We got to sit a certain way kind of thing. And she says she ain't feeling that. And whenever we talk about this, it always leads to an argument. What should I do? Q, what should I do? First of all, stop talking about it. <laughs> I don't like churches. I've never been to a church that had a signed seat, first of all. 
and I haven't been to a church in a while. But they do exist. Some yeah, of these, some of these larger churches that yeah, they have I don't the seating no, up front yeah. is reserved for certain individuals. Now, I ain't no reserved individuals. I pay my tithes and my offerings. Right. And I'm paying you good every The first shall be last and the last shall yeah, be first. Yeah, I want to sit wherever I want to sit. Right. And I I grew up in a small church, well, not too big, not too small, but it's where you have access to the preacher whenever you want. Like, you right. can walk up to him and talk to him right after the service. The shepherd so, and his flock. Yeah. But nowadays, the church is so big that you got to make an appointment. Right. And then if you ain't paying your tithes and your offerings, you don't get that appointment. Right. Or so... Or if you you want to bury one of your family members at this particular church or church, like they weren't paying tithes off, and they were like, "Well, he didn't pay tithes. I can't. We can't host right. your funeral here." Right. So I don't believe. So at that point, it's it's money based to me. Like, right. well, you know, I've I've had people tell me they said that you can't you can't operate a church that's you have to operate a church that size like a business. Mm -hmm. But I would say I would say to you that you have to operate it like a business in order for it to get that size. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, no, no, that's not true. Depends on what you believe. If you believe in the Bible, then you believe the chicken came first. Mm -hmm. It didn't say that the God that God put a bunch of eggs on earth. But at the same time, I still believe that you can still make yourself available to your congregation, right? Because a lot of people out there who've been going through and so much stuff, and it's so big to where you can make yourself available, uh, but not based off if they pay tithes and offerings or not. Right. And then I don't believe like driving fancy cars and right. You understand that you're driving off these people's money that you right. that's supposed to go to the church. I can't wait a minute now, Q. You gotta hey, look. You gonna make some people not watch that fight Saturday saying some of this stuff, I mean, right? If it's going to the church, that's all good. If it's right. going to where it's supposed to go, and you gotta pay your bills, I mean, I understand that. Right. But if it's based off, right. I can't see you, or you have to sit here for because these people pay better than you. There's no difference who pay what. I don't care if I pay you a dollar and they pay you twenty dollars. Well, you think uh, you think if I get to heaven, I'm gonna get to get up front with Moses and 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 David and those guys? It ain't gonna be no assigned seating. I honestly believe, no matter what religion you're in, right? I honestly believe if you have a good heart, you do your deeds, good deeds, you treat people fair, and you love God. That's enough, right? To get you anywhere you want to get in life, and ultimately get you into heaven. There's no place in the Bible that says you got to go to church every Sunday. Right. Or go to church that's to make it to heaven. Right. Or any place like that. So with that being said, I don't care if Moses is in heaven. <laughs> I don't care who's up there. If I wanna everybody's equal. Right. Everybody's fair. Everybody's gonna, should be. Everybody's gonna have their place. So right. no, nah, I don't I don't so if she's sitting there if the woman is not comfortable going to a church like that where it's that big in the period, what they supposed to do is they'll say, Okay, baby. Next Sunday, for right. the next couple months, we're going right. to go to different churches right. until we find one right. that we both like together. Right. One that's not too big. Right. One that's not too small. Right. With a preacher driver, a Hyundai. Right. Or just a regular truck. Right. He ain't driving right. no... Right. Not a Bentley. Yeah, not a Bentley. Right. And everybody has access to him where he genuinely seems to care. Right. And we're going to do that. We're going to do this for a couple months until we find one. Then we're going to root out which ones we don't like. We're going to... Put to the side the ones we do like, and we're gonna continue to go to each one until we right. ultimately decide that this is best for us. That's gonna help us prosper in our relationship. That's gonna get us closer to God, right. and we go there. But as far as the arguing about it, and it ain't gonna get you nowhere, right? And it ain't gonna get you closer to God. It's right. gonna really push y'all away because. So just go about it that route. Man, you know what, America? This this is a landmark moment right here. It is June eighteenth. It is twenty four minutes past the hour of nine, and I don't believe I have anything to add.
to the I'm glad you asked relationship question of that because I agree with Quentin 110%. I absolutely agree with that. I don't think I can add anything to that. Talking about it and leading to an argument isn't going to do you any good. And if you're talking about religion and, and about faith, that's a tough subject already. So you don't want to do that. And so if she's not comfortable in this church, you have to find one that you are. And the only way to do that is to look together. Quinn has covered all that. And I agree with that 100%. That is exactly what you need to do. You need to stop arguing about it. You need to get together. You need to spend some time visiting different churches of different sizes and, and, and uh, different locations, different whatever, all the differences that you think that you guys are having with picking this out, and then find one that you guys settle on together. Because I get it. There are a lot of people that feel the same way that you do, that they don't like a church where, 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 the, where the pastor drives, you know, a Bentley. Or roles, because we've seen that with this is Houston. There are several mega churches, as they call them. There are several of them here. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, one of the things that that they did at the at the end of the service was that the the the, the pastor would go out to the to the door and shake everybody's hand on the way out. You know, I don't think that's what they do at at, at these at these big Man, churches anymore. I, yeah, they don't. I went to church when I was a kid, because I'm a Muslim, so I attend church, and my mama asked me to every now and then. But when I was a kid, I was in the choir. Right. I mean, nice size church. Right. After the preacher say his goodbyes, everybody, he was at that front door shaking everybody and thanking exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. And he knew every, he knew majority of the people by their name. their names. And if you was a new face, he was like, "Hey, you new here?" And exactly. If you needed to talk, you got my number. Uh, matter of fact, stick around and come talk to me after. Shepherd and the flock. Man, they don't do it like that no more. You know, I mean, they still do it like the that. Does shepherd but, know when he's missing the sheep? Yeah. And so, but it's 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 different. We live in a different time. We live in a different era. I don't talk about religion too much on social media. People get mad about the most <laughs> right, craziest right. stuff. Right. I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about politics. It's, I just leave stuff like that alone because right. maybe whether you agree with me or not, I just I, I express my opinion. Right. I don't care if you like it or not. Right. But it's man, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. Just love God more than you love anything else. Do right by people. Do everything with good intention, with a good heart. Right. And that's all you need. That's all you need. You can go to church one time a year. But if you're reading your Bible, and you praying like you're supposed to, right. you're doing everything you're supposed to to get you closer to God, you don't have to go to church to get you closer to God. Because the only thing that's, it, if you feel like it gets you closer going there, then that's okay. But then if you don't feel like it gets you closer, and you feel like you get more resolve at home, and you get closer at home, then stay home. Because the only thing you're doing when you're going to church is paying a bill. <laughs> At that point, <laughs> so and, and, and you got a lot of judgmental people in the world that judge you for how you dress, how you talk, and very true. And it make you not want to go to church, right? right? And so it's been like that for a while. So, man, in a place that is supposed to be open minded and accepting, God is good, but the devil is good too for the wicked and hearted. And so people who they are blinded to the fact that the devil will give you everything. That you ask God for. Just to manipulate you. Just to put you in a position to destroy you. That is an awesome point right there. And you know what? I can honestly say that I've never heard that put that way before. I've talked to a lot of people on a lot of stuff. I've never heard that put that way before. I like that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one from you. I don't know if you originated that, but I'm going to take it from you. I did. That's what just came off my mouth. Man, I, I love that. But that is awesome. He said the devil will give you everything you ask God for. Man, that's awesome. You need to put that on a shirt. Hey, it's not a bad idea. You need to put that one on a shirt. The 
the devil will give you everything that you've asked God for. And, 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 that makes, and that makes perfect sense. And, that, and it's a shame because this is where we end up in fear and hate politics. I talked about it before you made your way onto the program today. Fear and hate politics is, is, is disruptive, is destructive, but it is also effective. It is absolutely effective. When you start playing on the emotions of individuals and not the common sense and the goodwill of it all, these are, these are the kind of things you know that, that take place. I love that. The devil will give you everything that you have asked God for. I'm taking that one with me today. I'm telling you, put that one on the shirt, Q. You got to put that one on the shirt. <laughs> but that, you know what? I can't go any further with that. Normally, we have a much longer conversation about the I'm glad you asked relationship question of the day, but I got I to gotta keep it short. Because I agree with everything that Quentin said. I don't think there's anything to debate about. You need to stop arguing about it. Start visiting other churches. Find one that you both can agree upon and go from there. You know, don't get caught up in, in being a part of the mega church thing. If it doesn't work for her, then let's find something that does. Because ultimately it's about you being better together, being a couple, being stronger together, and then being able to tackle all the issues, you know, that you have together and, and, and not doing it like that. So I, I like that. I gotta agree with Quentin on that one. I can't I can't I can't go against that at all. So since we have extra time, Q, how about this? In my at the um, Parkland High School, Parkland High School in Florida, where the big shooting took place, mm -hmm. well this individual became just appreciating the good stuff that happened. Like, it's be a lot of good stuff that go on this world. And I try to share as much positive stuff on Facebook right. as I can. Like, I hate sharing a kid's missing. Yeah, that's tough. I hate sharing it, but you never know if you can help find them if, if, you, help you, find if, 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 if you don't do it. So If you don't do it. I hate sharing that. Every time I see it, because I see it every day. Every day, a kid missing, a kid missing, a kid missing. Right. I'm like... Who's losing their children? Who's losing my mama? Who's boy, losing their children? Get out of her eyesight. Who is losing their kids? And so, but, but but here's the thing though. The statement that I just wrote by the gentleman Kyle uh, Cashew, you know, one of the um, Parkland uh, students uh, where where the shooting took place, you know, who, who was accepted Harvard. But then, unfortunately, Q Harvard actually rescinded. You know their invitation to come and become a part of Harvard University because they found out they they, they found it was exposed to them that uh, on his uh, Twitter account on his page you know he was using the word nigger to describe you know black people and, and used it several times and you know in extremely derogatory fashion so it went from this moment where he's fighting for you know the injustice of, of the gun laws and, and we need to make rules in this country to prevent these types of shooting these mass shootings from taking place and and so very outspoken you know young man and then you find out that he's using this 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 um globally unacceptable term to describe people of color repeatedly on his Twitter account. And so Harvard says, thanks, but no thanks. And there are a lot of people now who are trying to take Harvard to task for saying, well, you know, that was then and this is now. Nah. Mm. As far as that goes, it's kind of hard to... <laughs> <laughs> how you use it and how you put it into context. You guys listening can't appreciate uh, Q scratching his head. Why? How you put it into context because <laughs> because I, my biggest problem with my people mm -hmm. is we don't love each other enough. Right. It's too much hate. Too much envy. It's too much jealousy. It's right. too much this like I see people post stuff all the time about Injustice in the world, injustice in the world, when black people have been killing each other off for nothing. 
We talked about on the program on yesterday. Um, I don't know if you got an opportunity here. We talked about it on the program on yesterday. We, t- we were talking a little bit about the Malia Davis case. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about some of the things that I've, I've heard uh, some of my counterparts say in talking about the way that this case has been treated uh, and that it would be different if Malia Davis were white. And, and we talked about it from the standpoint, I mean, I, I've heard it said from the standpoint of the way the investigation has been handled, from the standpoint of how much reward money was offered up for information about the case, about information about the, 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 uh, the whereabouts of Malia Davis, you know, and all of that. And what we spoke about on the program on yesterday, what I said was, as, as if all of that is true, I won't even argue the point. Because I know that we live in a society where racism and prejudice exist. I won't even argue that point. It's not even worth the argument. We know that it, that, that it does. We've seen enough evidence of that on a daily basis. Not a need to argue about that. The problem that I have with is what you're talking about right now. Because the issue that I have with this case is like with so many others. It doesn't matter to me whether or not Crime Stoppers would have offered more in this case if it had been uh, a white child instead of a black child. Because the problem that I have with the people that are talking about this is the fact that no one white harmed that child. Mm-hmm. No one white mm-hmm. murdered that child. No one white dismembered that child. No one white tossed that child's body out on the highway. Mm-hmm. No one white knew where that child was. So I don't know how much of a complaint that I can have sitting here as a black man talking about this and trying to make it into a black and white of it all when if you eliminate, you can eliminate white people from the equation completely and that child will still be dead. Mm-hmm. And killed by one of our own people. My point, like, I don't see, from what I saw, they did a hell of a job trying to find that girl. Right. Because you got to understand, the girl was a, a young black girl from the hood. Right. She wasn't wealthy. Right. Her parents didn't have money. They didn't come from no nice family. They weren't even on the good side of town as far as Houston goes. <laughs> so for them to go through the, the, the length that they did, for she to get all the exposure that they did just right. to find this baby. Right. That was more than, that's that's probably more than what some white kid would have got. Right. In, uh, in the woodlands. Right. So with that being said, it, you always going to hear the complaint come from our people. Right. As if... We already been put down and hurt and held back long enough. Why keep doing it to yourself? Right. Why kill a person because they accidentally stepped on your shoes in the club and they want to apologize to you? Right. Why want to? Why you want to rob somebody for some shoes, some Jordans? Right. Like why would you want to for nothing? Why would you want to kill a man because he's making a little more money than you? A hustle. Like it's so much jealous and envy. Like women hate other women because she looked good or she got another man's attention that the right. man that she was looking for like. Right. There's no, just on some everyday basis, man, how you doing, brother? You doing good in life? Like, right. how you doing? How your kids doing? How are you, you still holding up? Like, that's, that's none of that. Right. It's too much on some, I got my own problem. I don't care about nobody else's and F them. And right. Black people hold each other back more than anybody has ever because we've had all the opportunities in the world. And a lot of us take fully advantage of it right. and try to do something. But you got some out there that just, when we sit, I just shake my head like, come on, man. You, now, you. I can tell you right now, Q, that listening to, listen to me right now, there are going to be people out there within the sound of your voice mm-hmm. that are saying, well, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because you're talking about 460 years of slavery. Of yeah, oh. I, and I understand 460 years of slavery. And you're right, we was done bad. But at the same time, that was then. We don't live in that area no more. What? But they're going to talk about the systemic situation that we have right now and the mentality that has been ingrained in all of us like that. Q, I mean, okay, come on, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, if you have 
a lot of a lot of stuff comes from people who don't have good intentions in the first place. Right. So if you don't have good intentions to do something, you're always looking for an excuse that somebody owes you. Don't nobody owe you jack. Right. So when you wake up every morning with the mentality, don't nobody owe me. Right. I got to go out there and get it. I got to go I get gotta it. I got to go make a way because they're not giving me nothing. So I got to go out there and work hard for it and I got to take it the right way. Then you're gonna have a you're gonna look at the world totally different. Right. Half the NFL players and basketball players are all black. Right. The boxing is dominated by Hispanics right. and black people who went through the same thing, but they made it. Right. It's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a different show for different. Your path may be different than mine. Your route is different than mine, but there's a way to do it. It's just you have to figure out. You have to get that hatred out your heart. You got to get that jealous and envy out of like, I was good at basketball. I ain't getting them chances that he got. Right. I mean, I know how to sing, but she sing better. Like, I, I sing better right. than her, but she got a break, bigger break than me. It's okay. Right. If you didn't get that, I mean, that ain't your calling. Right. God just didn't say, God say, this, this ain't for you. I don't want you to do this. I want you to do something else. But it's, God ain't never put a person on this earth for hate. I, he never put a person on this earth and said, I want you to hate on this person. Be just about this person. <laughs> and so, like I said... I don't care. I understand what we went through. We went through, but we've come so far. And for every hundred steps that we take, it's always somebody of our color that do something crazy Mm -hmm. that set us back a couple steps. Because at the end of the day, we're used to being, we're used to injustice. We're used to a white man or, say for instance, a cop doing us dirty. That's been happening since the beginning of time. That hasn't changed. We're trying to get better at it and trying to prevent it. But as soon as we make headway and we do something great in the world, it's always some black man or black woman that just takes away from us. Like, come on, man. It's not just about you. Right. It's about our people. So when you Why see you? Uh, things uh, to that point, because as, as a kid uh, growing up and a young adult, you know, you feel like there are just things that, 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 that black people don't participate in generally. And then when you see a situation like we just had a couple of weeks ago where the guy in Virginia Beach goes into his place of employment, you know, and kills 12 people. Uh, and then I, then when you see the, the news story and you see that it's a black man, and then you see that this man actually took the lives of two, you know, black women as well among the dead. And not that that makes, you know, their deaths any worse than anyone else, but I'm just saying, you know, once upon a time, I felt like that wasn't something that we were capable of being a part of. Man, I never put nothing past nobody. And <laughs> like I said, we live in a different we live in a different world. And my problem is with a lot of our people is I love my people a hundred percent. Right. I love them. But a lot of our problem is our people, they feel like they old. Don't nobody owe you nothing. Mm-hmm. Don't nobody owe you nothing. That's one. Two, until you're actually trying to change the world, don't complain about it. Man. You know, for those of you who may have not been paying attention at that moment, say that one more time. To those who complain about a messed up world, you're not trying to change it, don't complain about it. Right. Because if you can sit at home and make Facebook status all day, like the world is this, the world is that, but what are you doing right. to try to make it better? You have to be the blessing that you want in the world. You have to be the change that you want in the world. If you want the world to be a more compassionate place, well, then you know what? You need to be a more compassionate person. Mm-hmm. And so even though in the, in the whole grand scheme of things, I may only bring up the compassion level, you know, by point zero 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 two, mm-hmm. 
but it is still more. I can honestly say I made the world a better place. I made the world a more compassionate place. So I understand what you're saying, and I agree with it. I've said it on the program many times. You know, you have to get in the game. And even if, and even if you don't, I mean, it's the effort is more than enough. You got some people who make an effort to do nothing. Right. Do nothing with their sales. Don't want to take your responsibilities. Don't. Then how you expect to get ahead in life? I don't want to be around nobody who don't love God, who are not hungry for success. Right. No matter what route your success is, whether it's a business franchise, mm -hmm. whether it's you just want to work your nine to five, come home to your family, take care of your kids. That's if nothing that's success wrong with to that. You, that's if that wrong makes with you happy, right, truly happy, then that's what you're supposed to do. Right. So no matter what route you're taking for success or whatever makes you happy, man, I want to be around people like that. Right. I don't want to be around no bums. I don't want to be around people who complain all the time. Right. Don't complain to me, man. <laughs> if you got a legitimate problem, talk to me. Let me see, can I help you? Let me see, can I give you advice? If I'm coming around you and you're complaining about this, you're complaining about that, you're complaining about this person. Man, I've been through, I, I've been through hell and back. Right. Literally. Literally. Hell and back. And mm -hmm. I don't complain. Right. When, if you text me, if people who text me Ask me how you doing. I said, man, I'm good. I can't complain. Right. I tell everybody that I can't complain. Right. I won't complain. Right. I can't complain, but I won't complain. Mm -hmm. It ain't going to get me nowhere. Right. But at the end of the day, life still goes on. I still got a mission to take care of. I'm not going to be complaining. I'm like, life is, even though we live in a horrible world, like I said, there's so much bad that going, but it's so much good. Life is good. Life is what you make it. It is. And so, man... I don't know, I'm running out of words, but no, but 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 I love what you're saying. So let's do this. Like you said, life is what you make it. Q, you said life is what you make it. What is life gonna be Saturday in the Mandalay Bay? Oh, four and zero. <laughs> That's what life's gonna be. Four and zero. One step closer to getting to that world championship. It's four and zero. Like I'm not letting no man make no man form against me shall prosper. I don't care who he is. Like, we got to, hey, you think you finna whoop me? Nah, brother. Nah, nah, nah. You know, you do realize that this guy right now is somewhere on a lesser show, by the way. Whatever show he's on is not as good as this one. But he's somewhere right now saying that exact same, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, when it come that day, I'm like, hey, <laughs> he got to come with it. And if you got to come with it, ain't no if he beats me. I never walk into the ring with the mindset of, like, am I going to win? Right. I go in there with how I'm going to win. Mm -hmm. Am I going to knock him out? Right. I'm going to look impressive. Right. I'm going to have a rough fight. Right. I'm going to have a dog fight. But it's the ultimate, at the end result, my hand is being raised. Right. So I don't care how I get it done because I'm going to get it done. With this outside fight from the outside, but if I got to make it a dog fight, I'm right. going to get it done. Have you done any homework on it? Yeah, hell yeah. I do homework on all my opponents. I'm not that type of fighter that say they don't watch their opponents. I study all my opponents. Do you believe fighters when they say that? Because Floyd Mayweather famously says that all the time, that I don't watch film or whatever. I, I figure them out when I get that. Do you believe that? Because I never believed it. I, it's hard. He's too disciplined to not do that. Yeah, but I can say that with Floyd because Floyd's style never changed. Right. So when he say he don't study opponents, I can believe that because he's never switched his style up. He doesn't, but you still need to know what's coming out. Yeah, I, when I say he don't study, but I do believe he's seen them fight before. Right. And he just took a mental note right. that, okay, he fights like that. And he just remembered from that one particular match as far as going to study him and watching. It wasn't too much for me to study on my opponent. He only had two fights. Right. And, um, can't find none of them in amateurs. So I don't know if he even have an amateur career, but I know it ain't decorated like mine, so it don't matter. <laughs> I know he's not getting the sparring that I'm getting, so it don't matter. Right. And so he may outweigh me by a little bit, but that ain't that don't bother me at all. Okay. So, but my <laughs> ultimate goal is to knock this man out, man. I'm trying to put him to sleep. The last 
person, the last two and no fight I went, went in the second round. My goal is to get him out there in the second round as well. How many rounds is this fight? Four. Okay, now, so it's still early in the career, so that's that, that's not a big deal. Um, how much of a difference are we going to see in you as those rounds start to stretch out? Because in the amateurs, you got three rounds. There's not a... I'm not going to say there is no game plan, because obviously there's a game plan, you know, for anything. But, you know, uh, it's a different type of game plan because you only have three three rounds in order to do what needs to be done. Whether you stop that opponent or you do enough to impress the judge, enough to, you know, to outpoint the other individual. Well, as your career goes on and we start seeing the six-rounders, eight-rounders, ten-rounders, and ultimately the championship bouts that are 12 rounds, you know, what more are we going to learn about Quentin Randall at those times? Oh, that's when you're going to see it come together. I'm a long-distance fighter. I'm not okay. going to say a lot to you. As the fight goes on, as my sparring goes on, I get better and better. I set traps. I break you down simultaneously throughout the rounds. Oh, and then I take you apart. I don't never look for them first round, second round knockouts. I just, okay. I feel you out. That first, I take a minute and a half in the first round to feel you out. Then I'm going for the kill. Right. But as it time goes on, oh, yeah, I'm going to break you down. So I'm in your second you fight, in your second fight, um, is that what happened? Because Yeah, I told they asked me they I did a little pre fight interview. They was like, What round are you gonna stop him in? I'm saying I'm gonna stop him in a second. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm gonna fill him out for the first minute and a half, right. probably two minutes of the first round, because I know he's gonna come out strong because he got the jitters, he got the nerves, he's gonna try to knock mm-hmm. me out. I say none of it's gonna land. I say by that minute point in that that, that minute point in the uh, first round, I'm gonna go to him and then he's gonna be out of there by the second. That's exactly what I did. And this last opponent, they was like, what round are you going to knock? I said, be honest with you, I don't think I'm going to knock dude out. Because right. he big tough. Boy. He a big dude. And, but I'm going to beat him. Right. I said, he's going to make it ugly. Like, he ain't going to beat nobody I'm supposed to walk through. Like, people be looking at the uh, the weigh-in pictures and the face-out pictures thinking right. the dudes are scared. Like, nah, man, I don't look like no killer. Like, if I got my hair cut and I'm, I look like a clean cut, I don't even like a dude right. that'll punch right. you in your chin if you right. sitting playing with me a little bit too right. much. But... So I just be ignoring the comments. I don't ever listen to what people say. I go, me and my coach, we sit in and talk. We put up a game plan and we go follow it. So do you see yourself, because at some point soon, at some point soon, you know, once you, once you win this fight, because I certainly expect you to do that. Once you win this fight, you're going to do so on television. Like I said, you already have the decorated amateur background, so things are going to continue to ramp up. So, you know, so then there'll be the PR and there'll be the marketing of it all. Are we going to see an image change? You know, the Q coming up, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're going to see him in <laughs> Like I said, I'm thinking about cutting his hair because I love me wrong. I love my locks. I feel like it gives me peace. It gives me strength. But the longer these get, right. the harder it's going to be for me to make weight. Right. And I've never missed weight before in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not finna miss weight. Right. And so, so that's going to be my only image change before. Like, I don't wear jewelry. I never okay. never had a gold chain, never had a gold watch, really? ring. I don't wear jewelry. Okay. And so I wear my prayer beads. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even wear earrings, bro. Like you, it's rare when you see me. I pray with earrings probably once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And so, but I'm not real big. I've never ha- had anything designer. Never had any Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and I, I made and I made a lot of money on USA Boxing. I just don't spend my money. Things like that don't excite me. It don't register right. me in my mind. Like right. my money goes towards my dogs because I have a kennel. And it goes towards my my bills, my me saving money. Right. But other than that, man, I don't. I'm just not that type of person. Like I like to dress real athletic. I don't like to dress with. I don't buy a whole bunch of crazy shoes and crazy clothes. Right. Like they just never been my style. I went without it for so long. It's kind of like I'm used to it. Never had a pair of hundred dollars shoes in my life. Yeah. So it don't bother me at all. 
I like that. Okay, so we, so we we may see a little bit, you know, of, of, of an English change, you know, you know. Yeah, because there's some clothes out there that I've been wanting to buy, but I've been like putting it on the back burner. <laughs> I just want to come out with a little, little nicely fresh image. So, but uh, yeah. So when um when you uh when you win this fight, because I still, I mean, I, I certainly stand behind that that, that prediction, because I certainly believe that you will. You know, when you look at, um, you, you said that you, you, you ultimately you want to win uh, a title in four weight, in, in four weight classes, and you want to be undisputed mm-hmm. at 147. You know, that is, um, I'm not going to say that that's impossible, nothing is impossible, but man, that, that sounds, with, with how, how tough is it going to be with the business of boxing to make something like that happen? That's going to be the tough part, because it's, it's all a business. But... And everybody wants percentages. I want this amount of money. I want that amount of money. But I'm in the mindset of I'm willing to give you a bigger piece of the pie just so you can get in that ring with me, just so I can get that strap, so I can get that recognition. And a lot you of fighters. There are promoters mm-hmm. and and managers all over the country that are just cringing right now. You know, you make you you made them shake by saying that we don't give up the, the lion's share just in order to get them in the ring. You you are going against. Everything that Biden stands for right now, Q. Now wait a minute. Hey, I, I, I need that Hall of Fame status. I want, uh, like I said, I need every road to come through me, every route, man. You got to go through quick. You, uh, you want to be a world champion? You want one of my titles? You got to go through me. Is that gonna make you be someone that people duck? Yeah, of course. I mean, but then it's always a hungry fighter out there. It's always somebody who don't care how good you are. Right. Because only take this one punch. Right. And they feel like they may see some of you that they can capitalize on until they get in the ring, which in C is nothing there. But, yeah, I mean, all top fighters get ducked at one point or another. But, yeah, but then there are guys. They all get hunted down, too. But then there are also guys that get ducked to the point. Like, when you look at a guy like uh, like Winky Wright, mm-hmm. I mean, he was ducked to the point where he missed out on a lot of his career. People mm-hmm. wouldn't fight him. Yeah, Winky was my boss. Winky Wright was my favorite fighter. I mean, this guy was was technically sound, defensively sound, and he was left-handed. He he was he was he was he was such a tough bout, period. And if you weren't familiar or comfortable fighting a southpaw, then you really had trouble. He was a guy that got ducked to the point where it really cost him in his career. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, but he had some good highlight moments, especially when he beat the brace off Shane Mosley. And then I actually thought he won that fight with just Jermaine Taylor. Jermaine Taylor just never gave him a rematch before he ended up ultimately getting knocked out by Kelly Pavlik. Man, you know, I was how so much, happy. How, what? I didn't like Jermaine Taylor at all. What? He talked too much trash. He, he did. He talked too much trash as if he's been in the sport for years. He and did. Done all he this. did. He did. He did. He did. He did. He did. He kind of had a little Kenyon Martin in him. I, you know, I like Kmart, but you know, sometimes he stepped over over lines that a guy with your level of experience shouldn't be stepping over. So I'll give you that. But so since I, you didn't like Jermaine, but let me ask you this: How much of those two fights? With Bernard Hopkins, how much did that take out of Jermaine Taylor? Because I don't think he was the same after those two bouts. I didn't even think he won the first one. Uh, I thought he won the second one. But I didn't think he won the first one. But, uh, man, it ain't taking nothing out of that punk. <laughs> he, man, he was still young. Right in his, he was. He was young. But he prime. hit. He, Bernard Hopkins hit him with everything but the kitchen sink. And he kept coming. That's got to take something out of you. Physically, can you come back all the way to 100% from that? 
You know, you know, you know. It's like um, you know, the video games, or you know, the, the the fighting games. How you can set it to where the damage. You know, you, you can set the damage setting where 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 a punch or a kick can do more or less damage to you. Doesn't that happen to a fighter after they get in the ring with certain fighters that take a certain amount of punishment? That moving forward, that same punch gives you more damage than it did before that happened. Because he got hit. If you you saw those fights, he got hit so much. By Bernard Hopkins. Bernard buckled his knees once in that first fight. Don't get me wrong. The alien. Right. Jermaine Taylor chin had diminished by then. Right. He couldn't even take a punch. But see, that's getting, what I'm saying. He was getting knocked out by you, everybody. You, you think Kelly Pavlik would have knocked out Jermaine Taylor if he had fought Jermaine Taylor before he fought Bernard Hopkins? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really? But that fight with Jermaine Taylor could have ended way sooner because um, Jermaine Taylor had Kelly Pavlik hurt. Right. Bad. He did. And so if the referee could easily just wave it out. But he gave him a fighting chance. And that's all you need sometimes is a fighting chance. But see, that's what I'm saying. But if that fight happens before those two brutal fights with, with, with Bernard Hopkins, maybe he still got enough of the tank where he gets rid of Kelly Pavlik even after he gets that second chance and he doesn't get stopped himself. And that's true because boxing is, is crazy because Jermaine Taylor beat Bernard Hopkins. Kelly Pavlik knocks out Jermaine Taylor, but Bernard Hopkins gave Kelly Pavlik a beating of his I life. know you won on that one. Yeah, I'd never go against Bernard. Never. <laughs> Only person I would ever win against Bernard win if he had fought Andre Ward, but he wasn't crazy enough to fight Andre Ward. Oh, how so, much did the sport of boxing lose when Andre Ward retired? Man, he gave him everything they had, so they ain't lose much. The sport is in his... Man, the sport of boxing is so big right now. And it's on every network. It's on... Not HBO. Yeah, but not HBO. How did they fall off? They ain't got nobody. <laughs> They lost Floyd. They lost, lost Pacquiao. Yeah. They lost Canelo. Yeah. Triple G just lost. Yeah. Kovalev got knocked out twice. Mm -hmm. So everybody mm -hmm. used promoting either lost yeah, or left. Yeah, old Sergey. So <laughs> they was done with it. They was done with it. You gotta open up the open up the uh, open up the purse and go get somebody else. Yeah, they was being cheap. They were. They was being cheap. And but do you just get all the way out the game? They got all the way out too after all the years. After what, <laughs> 50 years? They got all the way out. Man, I know you're not going to believe this, Q, but we done talked all the way up to the top of the hour, man. It's almost 10 o'clock. We got to get out of here. Okay, that's cool, man. I appreciate y'all having me, man. <laughs> no, man, we have fun, guys. So tell the guys again where they can see you this weekend. Man, y'all can catch me on Fox Sport. I fight in Vegas this Saturday, June, this Sunday, excuse me, June 23rd in the Mandalay Bay on Fox Sport. Man, I cannot wait to catch you on Fox Sports this weekend at the Mandalay Bay. I'm definitely going to be watching. But more importantly than all that, make sure you let these guys know where they can find you on social media. If you want to reach out and have Quentin come out and speak to your group, you know, your group of kids, you know, your at-risk youth, whatever that is, he is definitely the guy to do it. He's got a great story to tell. He doesn't mind telling Tell them where they can find you. Y'all can find me on Instagram at quickdraw underscore P4P. Again, that's quickdraw underscore P4P. Look out for my bro, Robert Redman Jr. He's fighting on the zone. This Friday, he's coming home with that dub. What? I didn't know Rob. I know he was fighting uh, uh, on the zone this weekend. Yeah, this weekend. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, big shout out to Rob. I wish I would have known that. Yeah. I got to have him on the program before yeah. he gets here this week. Where, where, where is the fight? In California. He leave, uh, they leave Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow night. 
That's all right. We can get we can get him at least on the phone. We gotta get we gotta give a special shout out to Rob Wright. That that is just great. I tell you what, I love the resurgence of boxing here in Houston, Texas. is a is a hotbed for talent, you know, in the sport of boxing. And so I have fun when I get an opportunity being a big sports fan, being a big boxing fan, to get an opportunity to talk to guys like Quentin Rounds. I want to thank you one more time for being able to come into the program today, Q. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. You're gonna come back with that win, right? Oh, of course. Party at Q's house, everybody. <laughs> I'll give you the address, you know, uh, Monday morning. <laughs> All right, y'all take All care, right, man. All right, guys, we've made our way to the top of the hour, so we got